Good afternoon, everyone. This is Tom Romano, Head of Strategic Relationships at Symmetry Partners. And joining with me today is Casey Dillon, a longtime friend of Symmetry and our internal communication strategist. Thank you, Casey, for joining us today. Tom, it's excellent to be here with you live in person. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. So today we're going to go through uh, our Q1 2023 uh, quarter in perspective. Uh, it's been uh, uh, quite the interesting quarter, to say the least. Uh, we've had some volatile uh, markets, although albeit some positive results. We've seen things like banking collapses in the headlines. There's still, of course, the uh, concerns about inflation. And so, Casey, thank you for joining us to, to give us uh, some perspective on what's going on in the market. So in a nutshell, what, what happened in Q1 of 2023? Yeah, uh, in a nutshell. I'll, I'll be brief if I can. Uh, so if you recall, uh, the fourth quarter of last year, right? So last year was a brutal year uh, across a number of metrics, but the fourth quarter, we started to see some respite from that. In the, the first two months of the fourth quarter, right? We saw markets actually rebound uh, pretty significantly in October and November. And, and much of that was driven by the sense across uh, the markets, market participants, that maybe the Fed was done raising interest rates, maybe that uh, the inflationary pressures that we had seen uh, in the spring of 2022 were starting to abate, and the market is a forward-looking, forward-pricing mechanism. And so uh, in the fourth quarter, that's what it did. It looked forward. It started to anticipate a period when the, the Fed was stop raising interest rates and inflation would be tamed. And of course, uh, what happened in December was um, a bit of a comeuppance for those uh, market participants who, who got a little bit ahead of the Fed. And, and we saw a pullback in December. And markets responding to the fact that the Fed said, well, well, no, we're, we're pretty set on continuing to raise rates and, and we think we're going to keep them higher longer. As we rolled into the first quarter of this year, we saw a replay of a lot of those dynamics. Coming into January, market participants again had sort of uh, determined that this was the year the Fed was going to stop rates, and, and market participants started to look forward and price as if the not only would the Fed stop raising rates, but they would start to pull rates back by the end of the year, given um, where people reading the tea leaves uh, assumed the economy would be by mid-year. And so you saw a really robust rebound in January for a lot of the names that had been really beat up in 2022, specifically the large cap growth mm -hmm. tech names. Uh, and so there was something of a, a reversion to the mean in terms of those names really leading the charge in January. Those are the names that were most beaten up mm -hmm. in 2022. Those are the names that snapped back uh, fastest sure. in the first quarter. And so January, where we saw, uh, for instance, the S&P down um, 20% for, for 2022, we saw a resurgence just in the month of January. The S&P was up like 8%, mm -hmm. and the NASDAQ doubled that, right, just on the strength of kind of those large cap tech names. And, of course, what happened as we rolled into February the news uh, that came out on uh, the sort of economic underpinnings, specifically job data for January, uh, really surprised market participants because it was so robust, so strong. It exceeded expectations. It served as a really stark reminder that we're not out of the woods yet. And, and it, it sent uh, shockwaves across the market in the sense that everyone who had said, okay, well, now the Fed is going to have to wind this down 
all of a sudden the they realized maybe not right not only is the fed maybe not going to wind this down because the economy is hotter than we thought it was but we potentially risk sort of a flare up uh, of inflation just as it was coming down and the fed may have to get more aggressive in in, in tackling mm-hmm. that and so february saw sort of a, a a revisitation of those expectations that market participants had and, and as we rolled into march then all eyes were on Senate hearings with the the chairman of the Fed, and based on his comments, futures skyrocketed for an expectation of a 50 basis point raise at the end of March. The, the futures went up to like a 70% chance that the Fed was going to raise uh, 50 basis points. And of course, what happened then, you know, days later, banks started imploding, right? And that uh, sort of uh, roiled financial markets. And the Fed did end up raising rates, but only by 25 basis points after they had worked to sort of um, rescue. I don't know if rescue is the right term, but step in aggressively and calm uh, markets, particularly um, folks who had uh, cash on deposit at banks to keep sort of a contagion effect and a larger bank run taking place. Right. So we end the first quarter with a, a really sort of wild trip of markets shooting up, coming back down, a lot of volatility, a lot of fear injected in markets in March with the headlines. And yet at the end of the quarter, you finished up Pretty, again, pretty solidly across U.S. markets, international developed markets, emerging markets, in fixed income, in equities, right? We, we, it, was a, it was a pretty decent first quarter from a return perspective despite all of that. Yeah, sure. It was, um, like I said, a very interesting quarter. And I like the way you put it, um, you know, saying the kind of the resurgence of these tech companies that didn't have a great year last year. Um, but you're seeing asset classes such as you know, the energy sector, right? Who had a great year last year, is to use your your term of reversion to the mean. Right. They had a tough time in the first quarter, right? Yeah, yeah. And and frankly, prices have been coming down in oil and gas um, pretty consistently since last fall. So so we did see a continuation of that. Uh, I do think, um, and and uh, likely, there's more conversation to be had around this, but. The, the concern that I, I have or or would have based on how markets performed in the first quarter is that it was so dominated by a handful of names, right? We've, we've seen this dynamic yeah. before where we're sort of the top uh, largest growth tech names uh, sort of dominate performance of the market. And, and we, and we saw that again in the first quarter, right? You think about, um, Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, Google, Netflix, right? All of those firms who had really been challenged in 2022 mm-hmm. had a nice resurgence across the first quarter. But when you dig deeper into the performance, particularly here domestically, what you see is they were the lion's share of that return mm-hmm. that we saw the market. It was once again the fact that these top handful of names represent. 20 plus percent of the overall market, right? So think S&P 500's got ostensibly 500 names in it. The top 10 names accounted for all, all at least 80% of that return, wow. right? The top top five names, well, half of it, right? So so again, you're, you're getting a lot of that return concentrated in these names because they're so large, uh, disproportionately to the other names in the um, those indices and it lit it's the rising tide lifting all boats 
But the concern that you have with that, and we saw that in 2022, when the air goes out of the balloon to a degree, well, that can be a double-edged sword, Mm -hmm. right? If those names start to pull back in valuations, you could see that turn around and become an anchor pulling markets down, right? And that can happen very quickly just based on the fact that it's so concentrated in a handful of names that are are all sort of in the same kind of economic waters, right? In terms of kind of this large growth tech, you know, richly valued. Yeah, it sounds a lot like, I mean, you and I have had these conversations over the years, um, even going back before 2022, coming out of uh, the pandemic and those tech stocks, they were the story, they were leading the charge. And what I'm hearing you say is that's sort of the case in Q1, but that double-edged sword is, just going back, 2022 would be an example of, if you're not well-diversified, that could be a painful experience. It can. And, and I'm I'm reminded of the experience that we had coming out of the tech bubble, right? So if you think about uh, if, in fact, the run-up in valuations in this sort of handful of tech names is analogous to what we saw in the late 90s, uh, they were so richly valued that when the tech bubble burst, it took a decade, the lost decade, Correct. right? Of just, you know, subpar returns for the valuations to get back to a place where markets could then start to take off again. And, and so the concern that, that one might have is the valuations are still rich, right? Even after 2022, 20, uh, on a, a price to book basis, very expensive. Uh, on a price to forward earnings basis, it's expensive. Um, and so it's not as if these are, are bargains to be had uh, in a marketplace that that's discounting them. They are still incredibly expensive. And, and so anything that goes wrong, right? If the, if in fact the economy runs into turbulence at some point or the expectations for growth, uh, I mean, you know, we're in earnings season and Netflix had sort of positive numbers, but they sort of gave lackluster guidance for next quarter's growth, right? So all you need is for, for market participants to, to once again sour on the prospects of these names. And you're right back to, it's too, too rich. Mm-hmm. Like I'm paying too much today for, for earnings in the future that may or may not materialize, right? And so I've got to pay less. And so the price has to come down. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and again, I'm not suggesting that we have a lost decade in front of us, but there's potentially room to run if markets turn. And I think that's the 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 concern that I would share with investors. That's what I prepare them for. Hey, we'll take what we get. Right. We're happy to get those returns. But. This could still be vol. This this, you know, we're in the third inning, potentially okay. or fourth inning. There's a lot of game left. Mm-hmm. And, and we're just going to buckle up and be ready for it. Yeah. And what is interesting about this quarter, and you you touched upon this, I'd love to get your thoughts, uh, developed international, having a, a very good quarter. I mean, when we saw these large tech names in the, in the past, when they had their run prior to 2022, it was a pretty much U.S. dominated run up. Um, right. Give us some commentary on what we're seeing in the developed international space. Yeah, I, I think some of it is uh, the resurgence of the strength of the sort of the the companies that are there that have sort of suffered through a decade of kind of subpar performance and, and they were in a much uh, stronger financial position uh, than they were, for mm-hmm. instance, going into the global financial crisis, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and they weren't super expensive, right? So from a perspective of they were kind of relatively uh, cheaply priced compared to U.S. stocks. And so if we look at just the performance, mm. the they don't have to have that much, right, uh, um, surprise upside to to have nice performance right across the board uh, or, or relatively decent performance. So I, I think people were pleasantly surprised by uh, some of the financial resilience uh, uh, in Europe, particularly coming out of the effects of the the Russian-Ukraine mm-hmm. conflict and looking at the impact that, for instance, the, the price of gas, price of oil had in places like Germany, and the fact that they sort of got through that, not unscathed, but you know, the, the, they avoided uh, the apocalypse, mm-hmm. right? The, the gasoline apocalypse over the course uh, of the, the winter, right? That mm-hmm. it was relatively mild. So I, I think that from that perspective, markets sort of said rewarded international developed businesses uh, with valuations that seemed a little more reasonable than the valuations in the U.S. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for that. Yeah, and and I would call, I would suggest that emerging markets are in a similar but different position, mm-hmm. right? Again, a, a little more um, financially robust in terms of the underpinnings of those, mm-hmm. uh, of those companies relative to where we've seen cycles where people are risk off, and, and and sort of beaten down in price. I think anytime you have a lot of volatility, people are are hesitant to take a bunch of risk. So emerging markets could be a little more volatile as you would expect. But I think from a valuation standpoint, there's room to run as well over time uh, relative to the U.S. Let's let's uh, look at the other side of the coin and talk a little bit about bonds, because that's been quite the hot topic lately. We've been yeah. getting a lot of inquiries from advisors uh, and investors alike about the fixed income markets. So um, give us a little perspective of what's happening in uh, global fixed income. Right. Well, if you recall, uh, 2022 was a historically bad year for bonds. Certainly. Right. As, as fed, as the fed raised interest rates and not just the fed, but central banks essentially around the world, except for, uh, the Asian, uh, China and Japan, those central banks, not quite as much, but uh, globally central banks had the impact of course, of challenging the yield, right? And as we know, yield and price are, are sort of inversely related. And so as yield was pushed up by raising rates, price came down and, and it had a pretty dramatic impact uh, across the, the yield curve. And that was globally as well as the United mm-hmm. States. 2022, pretty much a very bad, no good year for bondholders. Rolling into the first quarter, mm-hmm. a lot of those same sort of macro dynamics that we talked about uh, with equities was true to fixed income as well. The expectation, the bond market pricing that they think the Fed will essentially be done at some point this year, raising rates, had the impact of markets rallying to a degree. And then, of course, when uh, there was volatility injected because of banking issues, mm-hmm. you, you continued to see a pullback on the, the yield, right? So at, at some points we saw, uh, for instance, the 10-year the get up over four and, and we saw a pullback. As yields come down, then, of course, prices go up. And so you saw a nice, robust kind of response over the first quarter of prices coming up for bonds. That had the impact. And that was true for treasuries and corporates and international bonds, right? So across the spectrum, you had sort of a nice performance uh, for bonds for the first quarter. 
And again, it's unusual for fixed income and equity to look and behave very similarly. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that was so unusual about 2022, but they're still sort of behaving the same way based on the same outlook that at some point interest rates stop uh, going up or, or stop getting ratcheted up mm-hmm. by central banks. And, and so that dynamic is, is kind of floating all the boats to this degree. And, and so fixed income has had a, a robust first quarter, remains to be seen how the rest of the the year plays out and and you know frankly we we continue to see the a deep inversion in the yield curve uh, especially at the very shortest end of the yield curve relative to the 10 year and as you know that has historically sort of uh, been a warning sign of potential uh, economic distress, recessions, right, as, as an indicator. And, and it has remained uh, inverted for some time now. And, and that inversion has only gotten deeper on the shortest end. Uh, so, you know, again, you would want to continue to watch that and be cognizant of it. Uh, I think the takeaway from this is, much like with equities, it's best to be sort of broad-based mm-hmm. diversified. You never know what part of the yield curve is going to move relative to this. And it's good to have uh, exposure, not just to U.S. treasuries, but to corporates and not just U.S. bonds, but to international bonds, that there are benefits built into the pricing of all those things. And as we start to see a decoupling of central bank activity, yes, they've been acting pretty much in concert. Mm -hmm. But at some point, central banks start to peel off, right? And they get back to focusing on the uh, handling kind of their domestic concerns. And as they do that, it will have varying diversification impacts for bonds uh, around the globe. You know, the way stocks and bonds behaved in 2022 was similar. And then into this quarter, we're seeing some decent returns globally across those two macro asset classes. Um, we're seeing somewhat of a, a mixed bag, though, as factor investors from a pa- factor perspective, right? right. Um, let's let's shift a little bit and talk about factors for a moment. Uh, we're factor investors. Our listeners, the advisors that we work with, are um, have clients invested in these factor portfolios. What did we see from a factor standpoint in, in the first quarter of 2023? If you think about kind of the factor of value, it's just the, the cheaper stocks outperform the more expensive stocks over time. And as you know, we had a long run where that wasn't true, right? Where growth stocks were just outperforming value to the point that everybody was sort of navel gazing, wondering, is value dead? Does this even make sense anymore? And, and, and what we sort of looking at it determined was, no, actually value's kind of in line with what it's always done. It's growth that's so unusual, yep. right? And, and that we're back to the story about the large tech stocks and get overvaluation, right? And so last year was a great year for value, Right. Even though it was down. Right. Value outperformed growth by a good 20 percent. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it it was sort of that snapback to recognition of, hey, what am I paying for? Right. And and these things have gotten uh, incredibly overvalued uh, on the growth side. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise then if there's a reversal of that dynamic that value might underperform growth uh, over the first quarter. And of course, that's what we observed. Right. That that value underperformed growth. It was those large kind of growthy names that took off. And and, and so that that factor uh, it shows up and demonstrates that size. Right. So, again, it's kind of the academic research that uh, smaller cap names uh, tend to outperform larger cap names over time. Rolling into the first quarter, large caps outperform small caps. Right. You, again, being led by that large growthy. And, and so small caps uh, tended to underperform in general. Uh, what's interesting is uh, across factors, one of the reasons you want to hold small caps isn't necessarily the size 
factor, the premium mm-hmm. associated with that, because that's come under um, uh, some scrutiny of late uh, as academics kind of look at that and say, what, what are we actually getting here? But what really uh, expresses itself in small cap names are all the other factors, right? So the reason you'd want to hold a small cap is not just because you get a benefit versus large caps, but because you get a really strong value signal, a really strong Mm -hmm. momentum, really strong quality, right? All of these things. And so if we look at small caps, uh, the performance of small caps for the first quarter, you actually got a really strong quality signal in small caps. So again, a a reason why you want to have multiple exposures for your factors, not just pick any one of these, right? So small caps underperform large caps, but quality did really well inside small caps. That makes sense. Um, The next category is momentum. And and what's interesting about markets that are are sort of whipsawing one way or the other, that momentum tends to have a tougher time in markets where the signal is really hard to pick up, where there's a lot of whipsawing effect up and down the other way. Momentum tends to kind of get whipped around uh, with that. Eventually, when markets start to pick up trend, whether that's down for a significant period of time, like in 2022, momentum does well, or up, right, for Mm -hmm. a significant period of time. And and, and so you would expect uh, momentum to kind of settle down as markets kind of settle down, and we see less whipsawing and more directionality. Uh, However, and I mentioned it earlier with small caps, quality. Um, this idea that uh, there may be a flight to quality uh, in uh, times when mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of volatility. Well, one of the reasons you see that is because higher quality earnings tend to hold up better in downturns. They have a premium associated with them. And we saw that very clearly. Uh, quality was one of the areas that outperformed the market uh, over the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And that was true, not just in the U.S., but internationally uh, as well. Interestingly, in emerging markets, uh, value, uh, quality, and low volatility did quite well. So value was still doing well in emerging markets. Again, a reason why you'd want to diversify your factor exposures, not just in the U.S., but internationally as well. And minimum volatility was a contributor in U.S., but lagged market beta. On the whole, a, a broadly diversified factor exposure was, I'd say, depending on what your tilts are, uh, helpful on the downside when market was volatile, uh, but lagged market beta to a degree uh, for the first quarter, sure. where where it outperformed uh, in 2022. So again, factors are a long term uh, investment. You wouldn't do it on based on one quarter, but we we watch the horse race. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think a, a point that you you said that really resonated with me is the notion of how these factors work together, hmm. right? Size and quality you, you mentioned. Um, and so having a diverse portfolio of integrated factors, maintaining that for the long term should reward you over the long term. Yeah. And that's the expectation. Uh, There are lots of factors Mm -hmm. out there that have been identified in the academic literature. When you selectively go out and pick a handful of those factors, the expectation is every single one of those is going to be a positive contributor to your portfolio over time, right? You you wouldn't necessarily pick one that you thought, well, there's going to be a loser, but we're going to hold on to it, right? You're you're picking all of these different factors with the expectation that each one of those is going to uh, be a positive contributor over a period of time. When you weave them together, you sort of iron out the highs and lows of any one particular factor, and you get that very nice, steady uh, stream of return 
into your portfolio that's generated by those factor exposures. Yeah, it's the old the old adage. We're, we're going for singles and doubles, not home runs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about factors in, in, in fixed income, um, and then we can take a look at some of the, the factors overseas as well. Um, but I do want to spend some time on um, some of the headlines. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about U.S. fixed income factors? Sure. So, uh, as you know, right, fa factors are not an equity-only thing. Right. We see factors across all different kinds of assets, uh, fixed income, um, commodities, uh, housing, real estate, right? All these, I, the concept of value, for instance, and the concept of momentum, right? Anything that has a price associated with it sort of can demonstrate the, these sort of factors. And that's true in fi uh, fixed income. The way we think about factors in fixed income specifically is, is kind of interest rate risk, which is time. Mm -hmm. Right. So think about what we talked about with the, the yield curve uh, inversion and what was going on on the short end versus the long end. What we've observed uh, in the past, let's call it year, was a really strong interest rate risk, lack of benefit that you got for sort of being paid over time. Right. And, and in theory, right, you should get paid to hold over time because there's less certainty about what the future holds. So you demand a premium to hold something over time, to lend over time. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, when you have the short end of the curve come up, that tends to impact that interest rate, uh, sets that risk, that sensitivity, because you're not getting paid over time. You're getting paid actually uh, on the, the shorter end potentially. Mm -hmm. So when you see a pullback uh, of rates, Right. And prices going up, you're you're seeing that benefit playing out through, through the first quarter as well. Credit risk is just the difference, the buildup over uh, the risk free rate treasuries to account for, hey, you know, a corporation has more risk than a government and I should be paid that mm -hmm. difference. And so you're investing up and down uh, the various yield curves that build up on that. And in this case, credit risk really uh, as a factor, wasn't a, a very solid contributor for the first quarter, slightly positive. Um, the, the show really has been, frankly, for the past 18 months, where interest rate risk is in terms of factor um, premia in your portfolios. Uh, and then market is, is, again, just market beta, which is mm -hmm. a buildup of all these different factors expressing themselves. So on the whole, positive bond performance mm -hmm. being driven by uh, changes to the, the yield curve in many cases and uh, some expectation that bond markets are looking ahead and pricing for a cessation of, of rate raises by central banks. So, so my expectation would be for, for fixed income investors, again, much like equity, potentially more volatility here, right? The, the, the rodeo is not over. Mm -hmm. The, the big bull riding could yet be to come. So, you know, stay patient. The, the benefit here is there's return associated with fixed income to a degree we haven't seen in 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so let this play out. And again, these factor exposures are the expectation is over time. These are going to be a, a additive to the returns that you get from the bond market. You had mentioned this in some of your previous comments. Um, factors perform differently geographically too, right? right? Like value in the U.S. might give you a different return versus value in the international developed or even the emerging markets arenas. So I think there's a diversification story there. Could you comment on that, please? Yeah, well, yes, of course. And and, and I sort of uh, made a comment about uh, as central banks mm -hmm. become decoupled and start to uh, operate a little more independently, that it has an impact on the um, the local economies in all of these different markets. It has an impact on their currencies. 
And so when you think about fixed income, the benefit that you get from not only where you hold on the curve and, and the amount of credit that you're willing, but that you're going to diversify the, the various curves that you hold and the where you are on that um, across geographies, and then take into account the impact that currencies might have, right? And so we know uh, for equities, the, the the volatility signature of equity is is so robust that you're you tend to be willing to hold mm -hmm. the volatility of fluctuations in currency in in fixed income it tends not to pay you to do that and, and so uh, I know uh, for instance that here at symmetry you folks um, hedge back to the dollar sure and that takes some of that volatility out mm -hmm. right and, and again i think that's a benefit for factor investors because what you're getting is less volatility associated with fluctuations currency and you're getting maybe stronger signal from these these different um sources mm -hmm. of return across different markets and they're all going to be hitting at different times once the sort of the global economy comes unpegged to what's going on fighting inflation. Yeah, and so I think it's a perfect diversification story. And you know, we have a saying here that the only free lunch in investing is diversification. And so we, we tout that investors should be embracing that. Casey, thank you so much for joining us. That concludes part one. Please feel free to uh, access other podcasts that we have done, and uh, they can be accessed anywhere you, you get your podcasts. So please join Casey and I for part two in our next series. Symmetry Partners LLC is an investment advisor firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempted from registration requirements. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply any specific level of skill or training and does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission. No one should assume that future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, product, or non-investment related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this material will be profitable. As with any investment strategy, there is the possibility of profitability as well as loss. Due to various factors, including changing market conditions and or applicable laws, the content may not be reflective of current opinions or positions. Please note, the material is provided for educational and background use only. Moreover, you should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this material serves as the receipt of, or as a substitute for, personalized investment advice.